0: Welcome 3, 2, 1, stop. 100, 150, Make 30. For moi, je suis prêt à démarrer les moteurs. Allons-y pour pour les moteurs. pour pour we bring you the fascinating stories of the people that have played a part in making Airbus the extraordinary company that it is today. So sit back, relax and enjoy the journey. Unfortunately, Martin, my co-host, can't join me this week. But on this week's episode, he has been busy finding out about a lesser known aspect of Airbus's work that is literally out of this world. When most people think of Airbus, they think of aviation, they think of the airports and going on holidays and when we see the aircraft looking up in the sky. But we're much more than that. We're about defence, we're about helicopters, we're about cybersecurity. And today we're going to go to a whole nother dimension, space. Or in the words of Star Trek, space, the final frontier. Airbus this year is celebrating its 50th anniversary and it's also the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And here we are, 50 years later, talking about going back to the moon or beyond. And Airbus is deeply involved in the international effort to make that a reality. This week, Martin went to meet the father of Simon, spelt with a C, which is an AI assistant to astronauts. It's a highly complex piece of technology. It's like a floating head with a face. So let's have a listen to Martin and this week's guest.
1: It's a rainy day. We're down in southern Germany in Friedrichshafen, At the Airbus Campus, it's a big site. We've got more than 2,000 people here, and we're going to see one specific individual. Let's go inside. So what we see here in the entrance uh, are some photo stands uh, that in a nice way describe the heritage and the history of this particular site. As far as I understand, it's the only uh, site that... Uh, covers the full range of our activities. That is military aircraft, communication, intelligence and security, unmanned aerial systems, and space systems. And space systems, this is where I'm going to find Till Eisenberg, who has been working on a very cool project um, for an application that astronauts can use in space, and we're going to talk to him about this today. So, let's have a look. His office should be somewhere down here, along this corridor. Lots of doors here. Ah, here it is. Hey, Till. Hi, Martin. So, I finally found you. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for taking the time with us. Yeah,
2: thank you. Please, take a seat. Thank you.
1: So, here we are in your office, Till. You're a space guy by trade. Tell us, how did you get here?
2: Well, you could say everything started with an internship. Um, I was looking at the end of my studies for an interesting internship. And all of a sudden I found, beside my main ideas to go into the launcher direction, to uh, develop new motors or something, I found another interesting topic, which was related to biolife science. So I applied and uh, 15 years ago, and, well, I'm still here. It's an interesting place.
1: So that was your route into, into Airbus still, but was there anything before that that got you hooked to space?
2: I think like uh, most or a lot of children, I also dreamt of being an astronaut, so I was interested from the very beginning into space. I, I was addicted to science fiction from my early days on, Star Wars and Star Trek and everything like that, and that's why I tried every possibility to get uh, into this business. And so yeah and my uh, it was in point of time when to decide what to study i decided to look into more details about uh, space engineering and yeah that was how i st- started my study and yeah airbus is one of the biggest player in this in this area so i had to try to go into this company
1: space is a very it is something that fascinates people i mean it always has when you work in this industry um I would think you'd have to be a very open-minded person, flexible to adapt to new situations. Is that something that you have to bring when you come into this industry?
2: I think you're totally right. I remember one of the first questions uh, which were asked asked to me as I was sitting in one of those rooms here uh, while I was applying for an internship. I was asked if I'm willing to jump into cold water. And I said, yes, I, I am. And this is in fact what we do here nearly every day. So one day we have to look into one specific area like medical applications. The next day it's about biology. The next day fluid science. And then we have to adapt everything into this unique environment of microgravity and yeah, uh, human spaceflight.
1: What would you say defines a person like you in this industry? Are you a practical dreamer? Are you somebody that looks at star trek and says man we could do this and we could maybe even do this better what is how would you describe a person like you the 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 curiosity in you um and how do you bring this you know into a a job in a company like airbus
2: i would describe me and um, my complete team and probably following way we have to detect the challenges and we shall not have fear So we we have to go through it. We have to find solutions because all the products we are building here, they are developed the very first time. It's prototyping we're doing, and we're doing this for a very specific uh, use case. And this means not to focus on problems, but to focus on solutions. And I think this is really applying to the complete team and uh, an asset. So
1: Till, you're going to take me now to see Simon, which is a first, which is a project that you devoted much of your time in the last years to. Let's have a look.
2: So where do we have to go? Yeah, left, please.
1: So we're in uh, the part of the site and we're about to enter the design room for
2: Simon. Now Simon, C-I-M-O-N-Till, what does it stand for? Simon stands for Crew Interactive Mobile Companion. Well this abbreviation it's probably a bit forced. Uh, it is more linked to the name Simon with a capital S, uh, which is then again linked to Simon Wright. It's a flying brain from an episode called Captain Future.
1: Childhood heroes
2: Indeed, indeed. I think uh, most of us have seen this and uh, hopefully liked it.
1: What was Simon designed to do?
2: Simon is designed to be a free flyer, which is quite unique. So it's a free flying robot and it is able to float and to orient and to position itself in any uh, orientation and location. And in addition, uh, to interact socially with the crew to detect their mood, to uh, provide assistance, to help them in their daily tasks.
1: All right, I'm excited. Let's have a look. So we're inside the uh, design office where you develop and, I guess, work on
2: Simon. So what do we actually see here? Here we see uh, part of our team. Uh, in one corner, we can see Simon, uh, the flight model, which is just in preparation for his next mission. And uh, yeah, I propose let's go over there and have a look.
1: Yeah, let's have a look. Wow. So this is the famous Simon flying brain. So what you see, actually, what I'm seeing right now is just a, a white sort of a ball uh, with a, a large... Screen in the front, uh, on top, you see ultrasonic sensors, you see cameras. Till, did I get this right?
2: Yes, totally right. Probably it's, it's worth mentioning that on the front side, it's, it's the main interface for the crew. So the crew can really interact with Simon. The crew sees on the screen the face. Also, this face can show emotions. So right now, he's looking funny or happy. He's smiling. Yeah, he's smiling. He's uh, eager to uh, know more about you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there is an LED that's just indicating that he's listening. So basically, we're ready to talk to Simon? Yes, you can wake him up by calling his by him by his name and say, wake up.
1: Wake up, Simon.
2: I'm waiting for your commands. How are you? I'm a bit tired at the moment. How about you?
1: I'm doing okay. Um, where do you come from, Simon?
2: I was invented and assembled in Germany.
1: So what can you do for me?
2: We can do skill training with the Rubik's Cube or do some other cognitive training by playing games. I can assist you with instructions for the experiments and act as a mobile camera. (laughs) This is incredible. Simon? Silence mode. Silence mode activated. So now he's not listening anymore until we say again the... the Right.
1: so Simon had its first operational use in November of last year up, uh, up on the International Space Station when he started talking to astronaut uh, Alexander Gerst. Take us through the build-up of all this. How did it start and, and, and what actually happened there?
2: We had about 50 people working on the project for about two years and yeah, it was really a stressful time there. Uh, the complete team was focusing on building a, a product which has never been there before. We we are the first with an artificial intelligence service in space, the first uh, in Europe with a uh, flying object. And all this in two years was really unbelievable to be achieved. But finally we did this, and everything was then condensed on that, on that moment when the first time Simon was activated in the real environment, so in, in space, in, in microgravity.
1: And you're currently prepping up this guy here for launch into space in december what are your expectations for that mission um and you know maybe let's start one step earlier what were your key takeaways from the first mission uh and with the improvements that you've done maybe you can talk about a little bit about the improvements and what are your expectations going forward
2: with the first mission, we had only quite limited time to interact with Simon, so we were able to make the so called commissioning. We were able to go through all the uh, subsystems and uh, prove that these new technologies are really working in this specific environment and had the first part of interaction of social interaction and yeah so it was already exciting, but not by far not what we dreamt of. Uh, with the second version or second issue of, of the hardware, we for the on the first hand we would or we expect that we have more time, not only the commissioning. It's again new hardware, so we have to perform commissioning again, but we will keep it shorter to have more time for the science. And on the science part, there will be some new exciting thing which is related to the detection of mood. So the user, the the words uh, used by the user will be analyzed and we will get a feedback about what is the mood of the person who is just talking to Simon. And this is one big next step for the part of social interaction between humans and machines. I understood in
1: in preparation of our interview today that I think you have said um, the expectation or the hope is that at some point in time Simon could become an integral part of a crew up in space, what does it actually mean? What part of the crew would Simon play?
2: This is, uh, in fact, pointing to one of the ideas why we invented uh, the study. We are pretty sure that once we go to deep space missions with humans, that there will be stress in this small group. A small group going from Earth to Mars and then back, and it will take about... Two years, more or or less. So in this small group, in a small compartment, there will come up specific social interactions which could raise the stress level. And uh, a so-called groupthink effect is also most likely so that they they will not be able to get new ideas. And we think that uh, an artificial crewmate should be able and will be able to detect this change of mood, this change of social behavior in a group and then provide a uh, counter reaction so to lift the mood again, to break the chain and uh, get the, the mood and the mission, mission success
1: So basically Simon
2: would be the psychologist on board I wouldn't call it psychologist but let's say mentor is probably a good word So come this way over there, we have a very special room, uh, and I, uh, yeah, let's see if you like it. Okay.
1: Wow. Full of screens. What is this?
2: This is our ops room. So here you can see a lot of screens. For example, there it's the so-called six-pack. We have uh, six live streams from the ISS.
1: So what I'm actually looking right now is what is currently happening on the International Space Station.
2: Correct. So you can see there on the right hand side, on the right upper side, it's Luca Parmitano. Wow. Now working in the Columbus module.
1: Yes, I see one person working there. So that's
2: that's the Italian astronaut. Yes, this is Luca Parmitano, the actual European astronaut, European astronaut on board the space station. This
1: is amazing. So you guys have basically here in Friedrichshafen a direct line to those guys up in space.
2: Yes, we, we see everything and we also can uh, see a lot of house, housekeeping data from our facilities.
1: So when Simon was unboxed basically um, in November 2018, I guess there was also a part of the team here in this room following live what was happening up there.
2: We had organized uh, that uh, the live stream was also put through for this specific event, yes, so we were really so excited uh, during the unboxing and but also letting him float the first time. We were also quite tensed um, at the moment the first time Alexander guess was calling Simon by its name, and we were hoping that the complete chain between Simon and the artificial intelligence on Earth and back to uh, the ISS was really working, so we were really waiting for this. Simon, wake up, and the answer from Simon, yes, I'm here, and that was exciting.
1: On this six-pack screen, as you described it, so six individual screens, we've got the big Airbus logo above showing, we've got a role to play up there. What besides Simon is actually from Airbus on the ISS to
2: well, I'm pretty sure I'm not able to answer this question in every detail, but let's let's start with the Columbus module as such. We were the prime contractor for, for the Columbus module, so the whole primary structure is coming from Airbus, but also most of the facilities inside. It's not only Simon. Uh, this is only one of many. There are uh, facilities like Biolab, uh, Fluid Science Lab, Uh, EML, electromagnetic levitator and many, many more so um, I don't know the exact figures but the biggest part of Columbus is coming from Airbus
1: Great seeing this, but till let's now move on, Uh, we got to see the vibration laboratory for Simon.
2: Okay, let's go this way Now, we are about to enter our vibration lab.
1: Okay. Wow, that's a a big room. So, what actually did you do here with SimonTil?
2: So, what you can see here, there are different tables where you can mount your product, your hardware on top. And the idea behind this, that these tables can uh, shake the hardware in a way that they are simulating a launch in our case, it was with SpaceX, so we put into the computer the dates or the other data uh, related to SpaceX, and then we've gone here with our Simon hardware, we put it on the shaker, we switched it on, and then we validated that Simon will be in one piece when it reaches the ISS. Well,
1: let's have a look at, uh, at the next uh, test, right? So what are we hearing now, Till?
2: Now here we see uh, one product from our side uh, on the shaker and the shaker is now turned on. So this is a nice and uh, very good check. We do this before and after the real vibration loads, which would occur by the launcher. And then we can see before and after this test if anything has been broken due to the launch loads. So Tio this is exactly the kind of thing they did to Simon? Yes, this is at the beginning the sinus run where we detect the the eigenfrequency, so it's exactly the same thing we are doing, yes. Quite loud. Yeah, it will get louder, more intensive. When you were here, it must have been a bit nerve-wracking to see your baby shaking on this platform, right? Yes, for sure, because it's a quite delicate test and possible outcome of the test is always failure and in this case if there would have been a failure would have to be uh, rethinking about the complete design and we were a a fast track project so there was no choice for failure no option no Yeah, failure was not an option
1: so we've come out of the vibration lab Uh, we've seen a great deal of the simon project today very fascinating Till you started your your dream of being in this type of industry started with your childhood as you explained us earlier. You've made your market Airbus, you started here since you know from a trainee, now you're a project officer for very futuristic project. It must be extremely exciting to work in space at this moment in time. Has Whatever you dreamed of as a child, has it actually for you turned into reality here?
2: Yes, just yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, so I've never thought of being a part of a team or even the team leader project manager for such a project, which is uh, turning science fiction to science facts. This is really part of my dream and it became true. And this makes me proud and happy. And yeah, I'm, on the one hand, I'm, as I said, really happy. On the other hand, I'm really interested in what the future will bring because now I already had such an exciting project and I hope that the next one is coming up soon. And I can tell you that we are also working on future steps, not only like Simon, but also on other AI topics. And I'm already in the middle of the preparation of next steps and I'm pretty sure that also the next dream or part of my dreams will become true.
1: Hell, I can tell from your motivation, from your enthusiasm, it doesn't stop here. You've got more in store, right? For sure.
2: I wouldn't be able to stop here.
0: Thanks to Martin and Till for that really interesting interview. And if you get a chance, go onto YouTube, type in Simon and try and find a video of this floating head in the ISS. It's really worth worth a view. I mean, space now is a cool topic. I remember... When I was working two or three years ago on the Rosetta, which was a a spacecraft that landed on a piece of rock, a comet, six billion kilometers away. It took 10 years from takeoff to landing that really captured the imagination of around the world of, of people that were in awe of the ability for us to achieve that and it got picked up in not just your normal places where you would expect people to react to developments in space world should we say you know i had members of my family asking me about wow you know were you involved in that unfortunately i wasn't but you know those that were must have had um, some great satisfaction in being part of that project another example is not just as we look beyond our own galaxies but looking back at Earth, you know, our own Airbus satellites. Some of the images we get to see now with our space colleagues have focused on key locations. So, for example, for the Rugby World Cup in Japan, you know we've got images of all the, of the stadiums that are, are being seen and we do the same for the Olympics and for World Cups, etc. Things like that. And uh, it's incredible now the detail that some of these images can go to. That concludes this edition of We Make It Fly. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. We appreciate your comments, ratings and reviews and we want to know what you think. You can follow us on social media and get in touch with us using the hashtag WeMakeItFly. This program was made by Earshot Strategies. The executive producer is Richard Myron and the other production undertaken by Anouk Mieh. I'm Jeff Burridge. I was joined by Martin Aguera and thanks for listening.